The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 86 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Wondering how Marvel Knights would have been received if instead of Kevin Smith writing Daredevil, it was Bubba Smith, aka Hightower, from the Police Academy movies. I'm Adam. And I'm here wondering how I'm going to come up with 156 funny intros now that I've officially joined the podcast. I'm Mike, not Michael Kinetti. The other Mike, Mike Schwartz. You heard that right. I'm officially the new co-host in case you missed the ending of uh, the last episode. Yes. So here we are. We're at the dawn of the next era of Wizards. Our whole experience doing the podcast. It's a new year, a new co-host, a new segment to come that we'll mention. But yeah, I just say, let's have some fun, geeks. Let's mix it up a little bit. And here's the thing, Mike. So you obviously, you've been on the podcast previously and we invited you to join the team. We're going to learn a lot as it goes on i know you have so many stories every time we talk is like oh you know this oh you experienced this oh you have a connection to this but i think it's worth doing just a very quick recap of your origin story Okay, I'll try to make it quick. So it basically started because of my dad. He's a big comic collector. You know, he collects Silver Age comics primarily now. But when I was growing up, he was collecting, at the time, modern comics and Silver Age stuff. Like, he's a huge collector. He has Amazing Fantasy 15, X-Men 1, Avengers 1. Like, he's, he's got it all. He's the biggest collector that I personally know. And, you know, that bled into my addiction for collecting comic books. And so when I was really young, he gave me my own pull list, like where I had Silver Surfer, Hulk on it, eventually Spider-Man, and then Spawn, and Hellboy, and Savage Dragon. So, you know, I've been collecting since I was like three. I remember even just being given like, oh, I have a duplicate of, you know, Fantastic Four issue 58 or whatever. And so I had all these. And then when I went to university, I started to get really into comics again. Like I was still collecting. My dad was still buying me Spawn and Hellboy at my local comic shop in my hometown. But then when I moved to Toronto, I started getting my own pull list at the comic shops in Toronto. And that's when I discovered The Flash by Jeff Johns. And something just exploded in me where I was like I have to read everything by DC and I became obsessed with DC more so than Marvel I was collecting a few Marvel titles as we'll talk about on the podcast moving forward but um, DC really is what got me back into superhero comics because I was really just into horror at the time because I was making horror movies at film school or trying to make horror movies at film school and The Flash brought me back into superhero comics and I really was into them for a, a huge period I'd say up to New 
new 52. And then I took a short break and I was living in a condo when we finally moved into a house in 2016 and my comics were being stored at my mom's. And I decided, well, I might as well move my comics back. I moved them back and I moved everything into my garage, every single comic book box. And this was in 2018. And I was just trying to organize myself. I did it over one weekend and literally from the Friday into the Saturday, it was when my movie, No Malone, which Adam, you're familiar with, a movie I wrote had just come out. So I was like, we were having a big party the next day to show No Malone. But I woke up in the middle of the night hearing a sound and it sounded like my garage door closing. And at first I was like, no, it couldn't have been the garage door. And I was like, wait a minute. And I ran downstairs and I looked in my garage and every single comic book from my childhood through university had been stolen. I had, I think, about three boxes still in my house that had some horror comics and some cartoon 80s comics. But everything else was gone. I also had a binder of some Spawn comics and some other randoms like Marvels and stuff. But everything else gone. I had autographs in there. I had original drawings that I had put into bags and boards in there, all gone. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I promised my wife, oh, I'll never collect another comic. But instead, it had the reverse effect where I decided I have to recollect everything. And because of that, I started discovering stuff I had never read before. And my addiction is worse it's ever been, Adam. <laughs> We've caught you as you are in the frenzy, the excitement of recollecting everything. And I think that's wonderful, terrible situation, but gives you an opportunity now to, to even expand your knowledge and your enjoyment. Yeah, the frenzy has lasted four years. Like I'm four years into recollecting. I have more comics than I've ever had before, thanks to a local pawn shop that's sells 50 cent comics and i'm now on the show and i have my own comic that's coming out next year called armored you know this is something i never would have happened if i hadn't had my comic stolen i think i i don't know if i would be on the show if that hadn't happened so <laughs> see everything happens for a reason and we're glad yeah. to have you now here's the thing we got to check out what was going on in wizard at this moment in time yeah. we want to find out what were people writing into them about because that was the gauge right that, that was how you found out what the fans cared about they were getting thousands of letters each month so we're gonna open up willie lumpkin's mailbag Now, here's the truth. There are a lot of great letters in this issue, although a lot of them are those list letters that are really hard to like do question, answer, question, answer type thing with it. But in particular, I just felt like there was one snarky reader. His name is G. Nathan Fancher of Johnson City, Tennessee. He wrote what I would call a manifesto that I felt we, we had to read it its entirety because it kind of subs up the whole decade of comic books in a humorous way as we're coming to a close uh, in this 20th century of comics uh, in the magazine. So we'll each just kind of take two paragraphs at a time as Mike and I discover what this lunatic had to say. <laughs> so why don't you start us off? Okay, dear Jim, when I grow up, I'm going to be a comic book artist. I'm going to draw tons of issues of X-Men and Superman. Then I'm going to get pissed about my artistic license being infringed upon and go independent with my own book. I'll do a kick-ass preview in Wizard and distribute variant covers of the preview at conventions. Then number one can hit the streets. 
I'll put out the standard book, a variant cover, a chromium cover, and a chromium variant cover. Then I think I'll get overworked. So number two will never see print. But there's all these cool variants out there sure to become collector's items. And the fans, who I'm doing all this for anyway, will get pissed and start calling for my head on a stick. But hey, they're not mad at me. They're reacting to the heartless machinations of the corporate comic industry, right? Then there's toys. First, the primary characters will be producing quantities so limited that you'd have to sell the urn your grandmother's ashes are in to get one. Then the secondary characters get released in battle armor and space armor. And don't forget the repaints and the super limited side gold repaint figure. Then I'll take my original idea to Hollywood and put out a movie based on my comic. And when the film receives lukewarm reviews, I'll blame the director who shied away from my original vision to practice his artistic license. That bastard! But my fans, who wanted to kill me two days ago, are flocking to the theater. Then they'll piss and moan about how the film wasn't true to the comic, and they'll feel bad, and they wasted $7.50 on a ticket, and $3.50 for the movie adaptation comic book, and $3.95 for the variant cover. <laughs> Then I'll make a triumphant return to comics with my work on the comics that made me famous to begin with, X-Men or Superman. Then the fans who four days ago now wanted to kill me rush to buy the issues of the corporate comic I'm working on. But then my radical vision for the book will cause me to get ousted by Marvel or DC because they stifle my artistic license, the bastards. And I'll have to get Jim Lee to cover for me. Uh, that's a very specific story. Uh, <laughs> whatever he's referencing, somebody's going to have to tell us that. But I'll still have a hefty chunk a change with which I can retire from comics for good. Then I think I'll buy a hockey team. <laughs> well, it, it sort of feels like an amalgamation of some artists, right? Yeah. Because I don't think Todd ever attempted to go back to Marvel. Like, it's clearly Todd McFarlane. <laughs> There's been no other image I guess Jim, Jim Lee was the going back to Marvel situation, yeah. Yeah, but there was no other image movies, right? Like, this is... No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so yeah, you're right. It's a little bit of everybody at Image. But then uh, Jim McLaughlin, he just says, you left out the superfluous intercompany crossover. The scary part? That sounds like what passes for comic marketing 101 these days. Basically, he's just saying, this guy's right. This guy has figured it out. He's succinctly put it all together. So, wow, what a decade, right? <laughs> oh man so we will jump out of willie lumpkin's mailbag here because we have so much to talk about in this issue there is some great stuff so it's time that we rev up So our top story in Wizard News this issue, Apocalypse Now, it teases the upcoming Kingdom event at DC Comics, scheduled for December 1998. This event will find the Kingdom Come universe crossing over with the then-current DC continuity. Writer Mark Wade explains that the kickoff story will show Gog marching back through time on a mission to rid the world of Superman's evil. He's going back and killing Superman over and over, working his way back to 1999. Alex Ross left the event a year prior while it was in the planning stages due to creative differences. As the artist explains, this is something being managed by DC and they went to Mark first. They did that because when you're a kid and you want something, you go to the parent who will most likely say yes. They figured Mark was that. I got the call to be involved, but it was already in progress. Moving forward with only half of the original creative team, the event will see five one-shots being released, four of which will star the offspring of the older DC heroes from Kingdom Come, including Wally West's daughter, Iris, aka Kid Flash, Nightwing and Star. Starfire's daughter, Nightstar, the son of Plastic Man, 
who is named Offspring, Adam, I should mention. Yes. <laughs> and finally, a book set inside the Planet Krypton restaurant. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> According to Wade, it will change everything we know. The payoff is bigger than anything DC's published in 15 years. So, Adam, do you remember this event? And was it really earth-shattering as promised? Yeah, so this is something that, like, I definitely bought that first issue of The Kingdom as it came to be known. It was such, like, an iconic cover all these dead superman and gog and all this stuff and of course like the hype over kingdom come was still even all these years later it was still like burning it was like oh that was such a cool story because like i didn't buy marvels but i bought every issue of kingdom come when it came out but then i remember buying the kingdom and i was just like but there's no Alex Ross and I don't know who this artist is and I didn't even know about these like one-shot tie-ins I had no idea that that was a thing I just said they only released two issues of this thing it doesn't feel like an event I didn't catch up with all of it until like researching now for this episode and I gotta say I really like those one-shots the bookend things I don't know I'm 100% on board but let's talk about it I think my dad collected it like he grabbed them but i was like all about spawn and hellboy but three years later i was going back and into like the cheap bins and grabbing the stuff because the kingdom is always found in those cheap bins (laughs) so i think it was around that 2003 2004 i i was grabbing it and i don't know how at the time it was earth shattering or reality shattering but i see like kind of a connection to infinite crisis by jeff johns did you read that no i I didn't even read infinite crisis no i just watched the reporting in wizard (laughs) yeah okay well when we get into it I, i haven't read infinite crisis in years but you know superboy comes back like Superboy Prime, I mm-hmm. think is what he's called. And he like shot, you know, at the end of Kingdom, they show this like tapestry of, of hyper the Earth. time, they call hyper it. Hyper time, time, they call yeah. it. Yeah. He basically breaks through it and kind of escapes and becomes this villain. And so that's how I see it connecting, but I don't really see it being this big deal at the time. I don't know how it's a big deal. I think Mark Wade, it sounds like, because it was in development for a long time, and I think he's like, let's do this, let's do this, let's make it a big thing. And then when it only comes out as two issues, which is nice that it wasn't like this sprawling, like multi-month event necessarily. But at the same time, because we were used to that format of this is going to change everything, like it didn't feel like a big deal at all. And so it's just like a sequel to Kingdom Come, but there's no Alex Ross and Mark Wade is telling us it's a big deal, but then you read it and ultimately it's just okay this future group of batman superman wonder woman teams up with the old batman superman wonder woman plus the kids from the kingdom come universe which i will just say those individual one shots they all have a family theme everything is talking about family relationships really well written mark wade did a fantastic job with each even even the offspring one which is supposed to be silly yeah and it has frank quietly artwork in it yeah like that that's it's amazing I happened to find a signed Mark Wade copy of that recently of that offspring. I connected with that one in particular because yeah. offspring has a girlfriend who's like, who was like his childhood friend. And now their boyfriend, girlfriend. And she basically like, doesn't like plastic man. She's like, he's a goof. He's useless. What's he ever done? He's a joke to every other superhero. And offspring's like, no, I love my dad. He gave me a sense of humor. He's awesome. And she's like, no, I don't believe it. And you just, at the end, like he and his dad, huh? and they have this like great moment because I feel like that's how my kids are going to look at me they're going to be like he didn't have very many skills but boy was he a lot of fun you know (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I, I guess, sorry, looking back, I'm, I, I guess the ending is at the time they hadn't reintroduced the multiple Earths, right? Yeah. So I guess that was maybe it. There's, it's a re- there's a possibility now. Yeah. Hey, everything we, we got rid of, we're bringing back. That's all DC seems to do. <laughs> it's like we did a zero hour to really cement that there's going to be nothing. Okay, wait. Yeah. No, no. We, we like all the old stuff. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of old stuff, getting rid of that and moving on to the new creators flock to destroyed gotham announces that the upcoming no man's land storyline in the batman books is bringing on all new writers and artists such as bob gale the screenwriter of the back to the future films with artist alex believe uh john bogdano from superman larry hama is going to be writing stuff and this novelist named greg Rucka. Hmm, I wonder if he'll be well-received by fans. Anyway, it's also teased that Batman won't even be appearing in the stories for three months. Now, that's a, a red flag. Already three months of stories without Batman, and the whole event is not just three months? They say this is going to allow the villains time to create their own kingdoms within the broken city and that there's a new hero who's going to rise up. Now, I think Michael told me at one point that like, I don't know if this is specifically what they're talking about, that Huntress wears a Batgirl costume for a while. So she becomes Batgirl or something. And I don't know if that's what they're talking about or what. Yeah, I definitely didn't read it at this time. And I still kind of avoid it in the 50 cent pins or dollar pins. There's 80 issues. Adam, 80 issues of this storyline. I'm sure there's some listener that that loves it. And and I I hope someone can tell me which ones I should be reading. You know, I always grab the Cassandra Kane books. I'm I'm fascinated by her her character, but I don't I don't know how I could possibly tackle this. It seems too overwhelming for me. Yeah, that there was never another in for me on Batman like after like Nightfall and all that kind of fun stuff that was happening and you know the the Tim Drake Robin in the early 90s and okay here's my end and then I started reading and then after Nightfall I was just kind of like I don't know I I don't think there's anything here for me and then No Man's Land was not specific enough for me to know what was happening in the story and I had to read about it in Wizard and then I was just like "Mm." I now I think it's a really cool concept but yeah with 80 issues that's a lot to try to keep track of at the time and even catch up on now so all right take us into our next story gambit gets dealt a solo series reveals that steve scroach will be penciling and co-plotting a new gambit solo series beginning in december 1999 though no writer has been announced at this time according to scroach However, we want to do something to evolve him beyond a common jewel thief. So I love Gambit, Adam. I've mentioned this a few times. He was like my favorite in the 90s. But by this era, I was ignoring him and this series in particular. I have since found the entire series except for issue two. I am missing issue two. So I've never read it. But I read the first issue in prep for this. And I don't know. It doesn't do a whole lot for me like i get like a a raiders vibe i don't know if you read it but there's a moment at the beginning where he's kind of like breaking in and it's he's a thief he's he's stealing stuff star lord at the beginning of the guardians of the galaxy movie yes yeah a little bit i don't know it, I, I'm, I find I, it okay the art because obviously at this time they're putting it all like Steve Scroach had been at Awesome Entertainment he was drawing this new Youngblood series for Rob Liefeld with Alan Moore writing and it dies after two issues and then he comes back to Marvel for this but like do you like the new look the without the jacket with just like this armor yeah it's cool it needed a change I, I like it I don't know it's, it's hard for me for me it's that first four part series in the early 90s that, mm-hmm. that really had an impact on me this feels like 
I, I hate to say it, it feels kind of like generic Marvel late 90s art. Doesn't stand out like the Marvel Night Duff that we're, we'll be talking about soon. Yeah, okay, well, cool. Well, here's something going back to uh, an event you just mentioned in a previous story. A hardcover to remember reports that Alex Ross is teaming up with George Perez to create original cover art for the Crisis on Infinite Earths Collected Edition. This is a massive four-panel piece that's going to feature 562 characters penciled by Perez and painted by Ross. Now, the original pencils are actually shown in this news piece. Very impressive. But according to Ross, quote, everybody thinks it's nuts and it is but it's the ultimate fanboy dream come true we got together to see if a cover like this would be possible and dc went for it it will take more than a month to paint but it will be worth it perez spent a lot of time prepping as well as he explains here quote i had to go back and research characters because i'd forgotten some it took me three weeks it was incredible tiring work so the final artwork they say measures five feet by two feet it's just funny to me like to imagine Imagine the large size that these things start out at. I have to imagine it's been on display somewhere. Did a private collector get it? Like, what happened to that? But do you have a copy of this collection, this Crisis on Infinite Earths? Are you a fan of that whole epic? I, I have the single issues. I, I love Crisis. I always go back to it, even though I don't read every part of it. It's it's a bit, again, I, I feel very overwhelmed by the amount of characters in it. But, you know, I've always loved it. I never got the, this collection. I had the poster, but along with my comics being stolen i had i had a box of uh posters stolen most of my posters are in my house but this one in particular was in the garage and it it got yanked do you adam are you a fan of crisis do you like i i have the the trade but in the soft cover i didn't buy the super hardcover special edition when it first came out i didn't buy the poster which they actually do talk about here like a poster will be released to retailers because everybody's gonna want this I, it's something that i like to go back and flip through there's always these characters that like were of that moment in the mid 80s yeah. like lady quark what am I looking at? Who is Lady Quark? You know, like, or like the female Dr. Light was like, oh, hey, look, we changed this villain into a hero and all this kind of stuff. So that's more interesting to me, maybe than the story itself, because the monitor, the anti-monitor, all of that doesn't really compute for me. Like, I sort of get what's happening, but I don't really. So I'm just like, okay, well, here's these people trying to save their universe. Oh, they have to accept that they're not going to be able to save their universes or everything's going to be merged or, hey, Pariah's here, and he's so sad. So I connect with certain parts of the story, but I can't say that even over all these years, I've been able to interpret it completely. <laughs> Imagine, though, at the time, reading, like, if you were collecting all those titles that kind of funneled into this story, I feel like, you know, the death of Barry Allen, huge. Well, that death of Supergirl cover is like the oh most aped yeah. cover ever. There's so many homages yes. of that over the years. Even on Toy Fair covers, you know, a wizard would do that yeah so it's it's cool but i'm also not like deep dc either so i know a lot of the history just from reading like the who's who books back in the day i'm like oh that's that character which i almost feel like who's who must have been created because of crisis on infinite earths you know because there's like yes. people are gonna want to know who they're reading about here that they could go by those but either way and yeah it's fun i wouldn't say that's like my favorite comic book event but certainly epic and very impressive for what wolfman and perez were able to do to just tie it all together. It certainly was a great gimmick for the time. This is uh, Guy Gardner's Gimmicks A Go-Go special report. How bizarre.
Slingers Slings Four Ways announces that a Spider-Man spinoff book titled Slingers starring new heroes taking over the alternate heroic identities that Peter Parker created for himself during the Identity Crisis storyline will be released with four different number one issues that are more than just variant covers. Each new character, Dusk, Hornet, Prodigy, and Ricochet will get 16 alternate interior pages and story told from different perspectives. It's mentioned that Top Cow was pulling a similar marketing stunt by adding three unique pages in their variants of Fathom Number 1. But Wizard is not on board for this. As they explain in their thumbing off sidebar, what a crock. We have to buy the same book multiple times to get one story? Listen up, publishers. Not only are variant story pages a bad idea, but it's this type of short-term marketing gimmick that put comics in the sales slump it's in. So Adam, what's your opinion of this gimmick, and did you read Slingers? I actually kind of like this because I'm always about the writing and not the art. The art is like supplementary to me, where it's like it makes a big difference. It really helps my enjoyment of the story. But if I just like the premise of the story, then I'm excited. And this idea to say, okay, it's a cool setup and you're buying another copy of the number one, but you're getting that many pages that's specific to that character. Like then it feels like there's value in it to me. Uh, you know, Wizard obviously doesn't agree. I did not read Slingers at the time, mainly because like, you know, Wizard releases like a zero issue that comes packed in and stuff, but I didn't know about the identity crisis storyline. So I didn't understand the origin of the characters. So I was just like, okay, four new superheroes. I don't get this. Like I didn't know what they were promoting. The Slingers should have told me something, but it really didn't. Like if they had put Spider-Man more prominently in the promotion, maybe I would have understood. I don't know. Yeah, I vividly remember seeing the Zero issue and being like, this looks so stupid and just tossing it, like not caring at all. But in recent years, going back to it and reading that Zero issue, and I actually really like that. It's got a very shocking ending where Dusk like dies, right? Like, but I, I don't really, I still don't really understand who these characters are. Have you read all like, no, I know, like I, I think this is one of the things we got to read this and kind of catch yeah. up a little bit. Maybe on a mini episode, we could review and share our thoughts because again, the concept is cool. Like I liked the concept in Identity Crisis when we finally covered it on the podcast. Like, I think it's just a neat idea that he has to create all all these new identities because he can't be spider-man and then the idea of passing on the identities is kind of a stretch but it's also neat like i don't understand who the characters are that took on these new identities these costumes and that's what i want to read about and figure out that is like my end it's like okay well i know where the costume came from but why did Peter Parker select these people. Who are they? Yeah. And how did they have these powers? Like, I'm, I'm like super confused by that. Like, they're like flying around teenagers and it's like, not everyone can be a superhero. But speaking of everybody being a hero to somebody, the Wizard Fan Award winners uh, from the Wizard World Chicago 1998 event are announced here. So these are the results of who the Wizard readers voted for as their favorites. People receive statues at the award ceremony if they decided to show up. I was told, you know, by some of the wizard staffers that many did not like Chris Ward's like well I have Alan Moore's wizard of fan award that he never came to accept but anyway here is what was going on they said there was 17,000 ballots were sent in so I mean this is a legitimate vote that think of their readership you know just looking at those numbers but here we go favorite writer Kurt Busick 
favorite penciler, Jim Lee, favorite inker, Todd McFarlane. Because they're like, what can we vote for Todd for? Inker, <laughs> not favorite media mogul or whatever. He I was. have something to say about that. Yeah. I think he deserves that. To me, that's his his best skill is inking because I can't get into Greg Capullo's artwork anymore. Uh, ever since McFarlane stopped inking his work, I'm not as big of a fan of it. I think oh. McFarlane enhances people's artwork. I, I think he's a great inker. That's my opinion. That's great. You know, what's interesting is I feel like every time you see, whether it's like the opening of the Spawn animated series or other behind the scenes pieces on Todd McFarlane, it's always him inking a page. It's rarely him penciling the page. So yeah, he, he must think that too. Favorite painter. I mean, I guess there were, eh, well, actually, now that I think about it, I was going to say there wasn't a lot of competition. There was in the mid nineties, but by this point it's Alex Ross, of course. We're going to talk about another one in a minute here. Favorite colorist, liquid graph. Favorite letterer, kind of the only game in town, Richard Starkings and Comic Craft. Like they were the business of lettering. You know, there were individuals here and there. But favorite editor, Bob Harris, just because he's the most promoted editor, I think. It's like you're going to choose Bob Harris or you're going to choose Mike Carlin. Like those are the only names anybody knew. Favorite hero was Batman. Favorite heroine was Witchblade. And I mean, we've been doing the top 10 heroes and villains on the mini episodes. Witchblade is always three or four. Like she was just at the top every time favorite villain is dr doom what was dr doom doing in the 90s that anybody cared like doom 2099 but like can you think of like a big moment for dr doom that's people weird. just love him he's timeless that's true actually <laughs> favorite supporting character commissioner gordon all right jim nice work there favorite ongoing series uncanny x-men favorite one shot or mini series batman the long halloween favorite publisher Marvel, which again, like I think maybe still for younger fans, it was Marvel, but it did feel like DC was doing all the groundbreaking stuff that like people respected. Favorite comic merchandise. This one is very specific. Dark Knight Returns 10th anniversary statue from DC retail products. <laughs> Favorite comic TV or movie project, the Batman Superman Adventures. And then comics greatest moment, 1997, Thunderbolts revealed as the masters of evil in Thunderbolts number one. Hence why Kurt Busiek was also the first writer at the top. So, I mean, most of this tracks for me. I don't think I would disagree with any of this other than Dr. Doom just feels like he came out of nowhere. I think he would still probably get voted that right now. Like, I don't know. I like I have a friend who he only collects like Dr. Doom comics right now. Like anything oh. with Dr. Doom on it, so... I saw some post about Dr. Doom in like a white hood and robe thing. That must be something happening in the comics right now. Uh, yeah, I believe he's going to become the Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, hey. That's, come on, Adam. Now's your chance to jump into some new comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, for now, I think I'll settle for jumping into our table of contents. All right. So Wizard number 86 with an October 1998 cover date featured two different covers. Now, the first was an epic Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti Daredevil cover, which in their big book of covers they mentioned that a lot of people consider that like a seminal wizard cover just the layout the design is fantastic but there's also a mike waringo hulk cover i am not sure why they didn't get ron garney to draw it because he was the new hulk artist and mike waringo what was he even doing at this point it was just like ah, give him some work you know 
But that's not what got me excited anyway. That's not what I was focused on. When you flipped over the issue of the poly bag, it came packed with a Kiss, the Psycho Circus source book. Really, it's just Kiss in general. But this was a big deal to me at the time. This is one of the few of my original wizard collection that I didn't sell at a garage sale. I'm such a fool that I kept because it was in my Kiss collection. And this thing is so much fun. It's a hype booklet for the hottest band in the world, as they're called, featuring news about their Todd McFarlane published comic book. But the new toy was the big news. Their Psycho Circus tour kicking off Dodger Stadium Halloween night. That was my first live Kiss experience. I was very fun. There's some great interviews in there with Gene Simmons just hyping it up. And then there's a random interview. Matt Sederich just talks to him and they just mess around and they're just doing jokes back and forth. We'll have to post it on social media because it's really funny. But at one point, like Matt Sederich is like, I respect that. Gene Simmons says, I don't care if you do or not. <laughs> What's your opinion matter to me? So anyways, so that was a big deal just overall because my two biggest obsessions of the time of comics and Kiss had come together and it would continue on to the next issue too, which when we get to it, we'll talk about it. I just never could get into Kiss. I, I don't know what it is. I, I would see them and I'd be like, oh, this is going to be like the craziest music. And it was just a bit too light for me. It's it's straight ahead rock and roll. I mean, it, it is. It's just they, straight they up. Get, classified as heavy metal but they're not heavy metal they're, they're not they're not yeah. like aside from kiss because i've been talking about kiss a lot uh, on this <laughs> on this podcast the last couple of months it won't end for a little while my apologies if you're tired of hearing about them uh either way as we close out here issue 86 also featured an offer for the 10th half comic a wizard visa credit card application they're continuing to push that they want you to get your exclusive witchblade versus the darkness half comic so <laughs> But in the meantime, you can settle for mailing away for the 10th half comic. But yeah, so that is uh, what they were hyping. But let's get into the main meat of this issue, Mike. Well, as far as cover stories go, Wizard provides a first look at the new Hulk book through the eyes of series artist Ron Garney. This is after having gotten the perspective of the writer, John Byrne, in a previous issue. Says Garney, once I got to draw him in Silver Surfer, number 125, I realized how much fun it was. You don't need to use restraint with Hulk. Artistically, you push it. Everything should be big and almost ostentatious about his form. He's huge, Adam. Is Ron Garney your favorite Hulk artist, or do you have a, a different favorite? Well, I think he's very good. And the issues that I read, I was like, I like this look. I'll tell you what I don't enjoy is I don't enjoy cartoony Hulk. I don't like this Mike Waringo. I don't like Ed McGuinness Hulk. I don't like where he's looking like bubbly. That's what I say. Like about the first Hulk movie that came out with Eric Bana, where I'm just like, ugh, like he looks like he's made of jelly. Like, I don't like that. I like the cut, you know, Ed Norton Hulk, you know, handsome Hulk. But see, I also don't <laughs> like the Hulk. Yeah, the Peter David, like, Fabio Hulk. That's what I call him during the 90s, where he was, like, smart Hulk, and he wore shirts and all this stuff, and it was, like, Professor Hulk, whatever they call him. So I think, um, I like the Greg Pak era, the World War Hulk. I think that is a great rendition. It's, like, the perfect kind of, it's it's got a little bit of, you know, cartoonishness, but really, like, it's got great details to it. So I, I dig that look. What about you? So... Like I think I mentioned in the beginning, one of the titles on my very first pull list was Hulk. And I think it was the Dale Keown era. What, what are your thoughts on him? Because that's such an impact on me. Maybe it's because he's Canadian. <laughs> if I'm going to go for over the top, out of control body structure, 
I'm on board with Dale Keown okay. because he adds in enough detail, like a veins and other things yeah. to it and the shading where I'm just like, okay, it's got dimension and I like it. So, so I, I would say, yeah, he, he'd probably be my number two because I think he does a fantastic job. I, and I don't think it's the best. I, I just find it very fascinating to look at is the McFarlane era. Just the details in the Hulk and the way he made his head like kind of big and weird looking. I, I also kind of have like a weird soft spot for uh, the McFarlane Hulk. I will agree on that because like, I mean, I still kick myself because I was in like an antique store just like in Arizona years ago. And I saw that, that, you know, classic cover with the Wolverine claws and the reflection. And I think they only wanted like 25 bucks for it. And I didn't buy it. And I was just like, I should have just grabbed it at the time. Even though it's not personal to me, but that's such an iconic issue. They even wizard does an homage cover years later to that one. So and I, I had my copy stolen. I had, have not been able to replace it adam i will say though around here i found several mcfarland hulk issues for sale mm-hmm. in back issue bins you know like 10 bucks a piece or something yeah. i don't like to spend that much but <laughs> I, i'm the same it has yeah. to be 50 cents or a dollar <laughs> yeah now our second cover story here marvel knights the q a is an interview with jimmy palmiotti joe casada and kevin smith about their new imprint at marvel which includes new takes on daredevil the punisher inhumans and black panther of course the big news was a hollywood director now writing a comic book about which smith mentions quote quentin tarantino is really taken by me doing this and we had this big discussion about it i was like you could do this you should do this you should really come over and try it casada then pipes in with quote imagine quentin doing the punisher my god smith continues quote think about it why not Why couldn't Robert Rodriguez? He's a huge comic fan. No one asks. And you're not even burdened by budget. That's the beauty of comics. It's some guy who draw anything you want to bring it to life. Although I do find that hilarious. Some guy. Joe Quesada's right there. Some guy. (laughs) (laughs) Then when asked about the Punisher's supernatural relaunch by Tom Stagowski and Christopher Golden with Bernie Wrightson on the interior art, Quesada states, quote, The Punisher's problem till now was that he was one-dimensional. To which Paul Biotti adds, quote, sort of like David Hasselhoff's character on Baywatch. You really don't care about him. You just want to get down to the beach and see the girls. But he's the main guy. Every time Hasselhoff was on, I just wanted to switch over to another station until Pam Anderson was back on. Which causes Smith to quip, quote, only Jimmy could make a relation between the Punisher and Baywatch. (laughs) Then Casada wraps it up by explaining, quote, The Punisher solved his reason for being. He eventually got his vengeance and killed the people who killed his family. What we're giving Frank Castle in the Punisher series is a second, third, fourth, and fifth dimension. He's going to discover something in his fourth issue where the readers go, I can't believe it. Let's take a break here and talk about Supernatural Punisher. Because from the Marvel Knights launch, that is the most controversial take. You're a horror guy. Do you like it? Okay, I have mixed feelings. I only discovered this series probably a year ago. And when I found out Bernie Wrightson did the artwork, I had to read it immediately. I, I like I, It's only four issues, so I, I remember reading it. I kind of like it because I have zero interest in Punisher because I always think, well, he's just angry about his family and that's all they ever say. He needs something new. They kind of retcon his story a bit. And I can see why Punisher fans would be furious. 
I would have been furious, but reading it out of context now, I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of neat that they did something different with his origin. Like, hey, there's this evil devil thing that was behind your family's murder. And now Punisher is also has like these supernatural powers, kind of. I don't know. I don't mind it. I Well, it's very big... spawn. I was going to say The devil said, yes. you're the best killer. We wanted the best killer to work for us. You know, and he has like this, this angel with him. Right, it's an angel that's basically yeah. like working with him. I I liked parts about it. I can see why people would hate it. I have no feelings about the Punisher. I'm not a huge fan of the Punisher, so to me, I was like, hey, it's kind of neat. Um, my biggest problem with it is it's Bernie writes an artwork, but I don't like the inking. I feel like it gets lost. All all of that Bernie writes an artwork from like Swamp Thing and stuff. I'm like, where is it? This is not it. Yeah, 100%. That's what I thought. They were making such a big deal that, you know, this horror maestro, Bernie Wrightson is in there. I was just like, no, it's just smooth. It's just kind of like, and the covers are by Joe Jusco. Like they really went all out to give you like these intense, you know, presentations. But yeah, that the interior is lacking a little bit, but I'm pretty much on the same level as you in that I don't care about the Punisher. He's a guy with a gun. There's a million guys with a gun. You know, you can see all these revenge flicks, you know, by Canon films from the seventies and eighties or whatever, you know, like I get it. But to me, like to give him that purpose, I love the idea that people in the neighborhood, they put a symbol on their window and say, I need your help Punisher at, you know, this supernatural being, please please come save me. Please come help me from an abusive family member or whatever, you know, like it's so cool to give him that angle. And I wonder like if he had been introduced that way originally, if people would have caught on to it or not, because I just, I think it's, he's talking about fourth and fifth dimension of the character. He really does have all that going for him here where it's much more engaging as a reader to me than just say, well, he's going to kill every mobster again. He's probably done that three or four times over. How, how can there be any more mafia members? You know, it's <laughs> so true. No, I, I I completely agree with you. I doubt they'll ever do it, but I would love it if we had. You know, I think the biggest problem with Punisher is he doesn't really go with like the big superheroes of the MCU. Like it just, but this is kind of a way they could kind of tie him into that. Like I, they'll never do it though. They'll never go back. But let's move on to a title that actually was, I think, you know, quite popular at the time. So when asked whether Smith's take on Daredevil will be less lighthearted than the recent 10-issue Joe Kelly run, Smith confirms the serious tone of his scripts, then adds, and definitely more so than Carl Kessel's run, which was a nice breath of fresh air. Mine isn't so lighthearted. No costume change, no kingpin, no Electra. She's dead. <laughs> when asked if Jay and Silent Bob would make a cameo, Smith reveals that a fan stopped him from doing so by saying, you've got to keep Jay and Silent Bob out. Let's see if you can do something without them. In Smith's mind, it was like a dare. But then admits, there's something of a Jay and Silent Bob appearance, but you have to find it. You have to be real good. It's in the first issue. Wizard then asks who Smith would cast as Daredevil if he were making a live action film. And the director suggests Matt Damon. Matt's a fan of Daredevil, a really big fan. It came up in conversation one day. I was shocked by how much he knew. He even has a run of Daredevil comic. Never knew <laughs> that about Matt Damon. And I, I want to hear the story why he wasn't cast, why he didn't get the role, why did Ben Affleck get it instead? Like, I, I really, I would love to know the behind the scenes, the Hollywood machinations of all that. Yeah, so... 
what do you think of the Daredevil? Like, this is one of those titles in like 2003 or four. I went back and read, but I reread it recently and I didn't like it as much, I have to say. Yeah, well, so I read a while back for the podcast, the Carl Kiesel run, and I really yeah. liked it. I thought that that was really interesting, it, but it was. It was fun and lighthearted. And this one, it's, you know, kind of strange because it's like the omen or something. It's like this devil child maybe is being born. You find out it's a, a twist. No, it was Mysterio setting it all up, yeah. trying to be a big shot and all that. But it's, it's one of those things where because the writing is trying to be a little bit hip and a little bit clever it doesn't feel like daredevil and then he has all these mood swings which they explain later like why he's like willing to kill a baby and throw it off the roof of a building you know but you're just like it feels a little bit out of character but i mean the art is amazing it doesn't take me out completely but you notice the kevin smith of it all like he kind of makes himself known it doesn't all blend perfectly at the same time though like i feel like it was a way of making him just like slightly more relatable that he's not this tortured soul all the time like being broken down broken down because you know he has like all this stuff going on with karen being hiv positive and like having conversation which is very of the moment also but <laughs> it is this this really is the imageification of marvel characters that's what marvel knights is they were like let's go dark like image let's bring the image readers back and i think it works in a lot of ways i actually really like the art in this but <laughs> I forgot that Karen Page well, was HIV But what positive. it made me realize, too, is between the Punisher and Daredevil, they were really going heavy on, like, Catholic. Everything felt supernatural in that way, but very connected to angels and demons. But then you get into the other two titles. They're talking about Inhumans, right, by Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee, which I've always heard praised. But Casada reveals, quote, we're doing a more human approach to them. We're defining what it is to be inhuman by discovering more about humanity and looking at ourselves in the mirror. The whole thing is that each issue is never driven by the same characters. It's always going to be a different take than the last. And I've only read, like, the first three issues of this and I traditionally don't like Jay Lee art but I was like this is a great thought provoking series and the art is so like moody but beautiful I really thought Inhumans was just impressive this is the classy one in my opinion of uh, like I, I'm not as familiar with the Black Panther which we'll talk about in a minute but I, I, I think it's the classiest of the four I'm, I'm a huge Jay Lee fan so I was really drawn to this but my biggest problem is I don't like that it's like a different character each issue I wanted a bit more consistency with a story being told i haven't read all of it so maybe it does build to something but man i think this one was an eisner winner oh it may have been yeah well, yeah well, i'm pretty sure this was the series that won an eisner so yeah. okay well that makes sense i i personally like an anthology type of format okay. so for me like it really stands out where everything is self-contained like i said the the first few issues that i read i was like okay that this... first one with black bolt his inability to speak is so profound yeah <laughs> Well, and I think the one running story that you do get is his brother right so maximus or whatever like that he's crazy you know yeah but he's but he's got something that he's working on behind the scenes it seems like so that kind of is the runner and all of it but you mentioned black panther by christopher priest mark texera it is briefly described they barely mention it here joe casada says the king of an african nation that is one of the most highly technological nations of the marvel universe he's got these two girls this guy's an avenger this guy can kick your ass so he's promoting it but he's not they're not telling you what the real strength of this series is which i've mentioned this before i didn't read black panther i would have 
if they said from the creator of Quantum and Woody, because I was so into Quantum and Woody, which was ending at this time. And Christopher Priest, I just figured, oh, like by looking at the art and stuff, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be a straight ahead, like action, political intrigue thing. And it's not going to have any humor. I've been reading this thing. It's just Quantum and Woody transposed to Marvel. It's crazy. It's all like, even they have like headings and setups. This uh, Everett Ross, right? You know, the Ross we get in the MCU films is nothing like the one in this series. He's just this goofy. He looks like he's 14 years old. That's the one thing I'll say. Mark (laughs) Tixera could not draw this guy until like five issues in that he sort of looks like an adult. But like, they are just wacky hijinks all over the place with him, like catching up to the Black Panther. Like, you know, T'Challa is just doing cool stuff. That's what it was. Quantum and Woody was wacky, silly, white guy stoic cool superhero black guy you know and so like i think christopher priest just has how he writes and this is his setup for everything and i love it i love it. it's my favorite marvel knights title and i'm just gonna keep wow. reading for fun it is so good it was, and again they didn't promote it that way at all that there was any humor and it's like it's half and half it's a perfect mix i love it uh- well, now I have. It's the one. It's my blind spot. It's the one I don't know anything about. This was really like a testing ground for the next series. I feel like, like the next Punisher is a, is far more re- revered, and um, uh, the Black Panther that comes after is the one I'm familiar with because it, it, you know it had Jr. Jr. Ramita Jr. on it. Now I need to go back at him. Now really? I'm going to spend the next month reading this. <laughs> I mean, if anybody was going to say like, "Are you going to read Marvel Knights?" Well, you got to read Daredevil because that was the one everybody loved loved at the time but i think is there one that stands up and stands out among the rest and inhumans like you say classy black panther ends up being the most fun and i just did not see it coming okay i didn't either well moving on Clark Kent is a rather scathing indictment of the Superman books being published by DC Comics. While Wizard adopts the format of comparing the way it should be to the way it is, they pretty much sum up their thoughts in the opening paragraphs. He's the man who has everything. Good looks, a cool job, a secret identity, unmatched power, integrity. But there's one thing missing from Superman these days. Excitement. And that's the one thing fans have come to expect from comics' most iconic character. But lately, DC Comics has tried to sustain the Man of Steel's success with stunts and events rather than solid stories. The origin of this can be traced back to Superman's high point, the death of Superman storyline in 1992, which set a benchmark for Superman's popularity and sales. DC became big event conscious and delivered us such storylines as Electro Soups, The Death of Clark Kent, and Superman The Wedding Album. But these big events have come at the expense of characterization. As a result, problems have ensued. The supporting cast has grown to chaotic proportions. Clark has no romantic problems. Retro ideas have stagnated him. And his villains aren't challenging enough to pose a threat to the Man of Steel. As one of the greatest characters of all time, we here at Wizard figured we'd reiterate what makes Superman great. How he has strayed from these points and how we dear the Man of Steel back in the right direction. Do you agree, Adam? So, I was not reading Superman at this time. You know, I missed the whole electric blue, electric red, Superman era, all those things. Here's what I'll say. In reading the wedding album for the first time, in catching up on these books, I will agree that it did feel like Superman is in the background and you have all these supporting characters, especially the ones like written by Louise Simonson, I think was still writing one of them at this time. And I was just like, it's just a soap opera and every once in a while Superman 
then punches a bad guy for two pages and then like they get back to the story of these people so like i would agree there but i also think the events were kind of the only way to make superman interesting in my opinion because that's the only time i would tune in because i'm just like well i know what he's gonna do otherwise you know he's just gonna kind of be hanging around and somebody will come to metropolis and threaten metropolis then he's gonna punch him like these events like changing him is more interesting to me like yeah it goes back to like the 50s era where you got a new power every issue right but but i still think that's kind of more interesting than the standard story like they can't all be superman for all seasons which they kind of are you know praising at this moment in time as that's classic superman that's what it should be speaking of which i did just read superman for all seasons for the first time so i will be reviewing that on our upcoming mini episode 86.5 if you're curious to get my take on it but what about you did you have any connection to superman where you feel like you have an opinion on it i feel like i still don't have a connection like when i was really little i had a connection just visually and i still grab the comics not modern ones but i'll grab back issue ones really just for the visuals i feel like has anyone really cracked that like to me a good story is i have a character with a flaw every arc i feel like the character should have some sort of flaw and it can be something simple. And I, I don't know if they ever really give him that. And that's why they have to have all the supporting characters to support the story because he doesn't, they don't give him a flaw. And to me, I'm like, it could be something interesting, like balancing everyday life things. I don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they've done it, but I, I just can't, there's no in for me for Superman. And yeah. I don't know if they've ever solved that problem. Yeah. And I'm sure some, some people could point to some good stories, you know. The Alan Moore one's great. Yeah. yeah. But so I contacted wizard editor Brian Cunningham about this piece because they were so like originally they were attacking the clone saga now they're attacking Superman and this was his response quote a lot of that was written by me at least for a first draft before Pat did a polish on it in hindsight I regret it because I've become friends with a lot of the creators doing the super books at the time. And those same folks made some of the all time great Superman stories. But the article spoke our truth at that moment in time. It came primarily from my and Pat's frustrations as Superman fans and feeling like DC needed a changing of the guard. And not long after this article, DC made the change when Jeff Loeb and McGinnis and Joe Kelly came aboard for a new era. I suspect some of this sentiment might have been sparked by the quality of Superman for all seasons seasons which came out at the time but i feel enormous guilt about doing this article still to this day oh brian but and for those who don't know brian and pat went on to work at dc for many years after leaving wizard so i'm sure there must have been like some awkward moments when they had to work with those creators who they were criticizing publicly in the pages of wizard for years and years you know like uh sorry yeah i i don't think they're wrong and i think that a lot of the things they bring up could be even applied to some kind comics today. I, I don't think they should be that embarrassed. <laughs> I have dipped into Superman a few times here and there, and I feel like may, maybe they did listen to it, right? Like, they're, they're, they probably... Wizard was making an impact, and maybe DC did listen. Yeah. But it, it is easy to see why they'd be so passionate about Superman, since many would consider Superman the greatest superhero of all time. But Wizard ran a poll asking readers to vote and make it official. The winner of the poll by a hair was Batman with 25%, followed by Superman and Spider-Man tied with 24% each, leaving Wolverine with 11%, Captain America with 9%, who they admit wasn't even in the running originally, and gained his place on the pie chart with write-in votes from the fans. For those of you doing the math at home, that leaves 7% for the other category. Noticeably, there's not 
female heroes on the list. I am amazed they left out Captain America. I cannot believe. Adam, I want to know also which female hero you would raise up as the greatest. This is kind of just at the time, right? Like, I I feel like female heroes were taken for granted or seen as, oh, you know, they're just kind of an offshoot of the male hero. You know, Superman, Supergirl, Batman, Batgirl, you know, like always a girl too. Rarely a woman, right? They would occasionally put them in there. But I look at it kind of two ways. I think Although Marvel has a lot of great characters, like people have said in the past on our social media, like, well, the X-Men have great female characters, like the best, you know, in comics, in their opinion, that are most developed and things like that. But when I think of a hero who's been unwavering and it's just kind of in her nature because she's so literal, old school and ancient, but Wonder Woman? just kind of is the ultimate female hero from the perspective of has she I mean you just mentioned with Superman like has she had a flaw that's been brought up like there's been things that have happened to her to change like she was you know the 70s kung fu secret agent not using her outfit or her lasso or anything but it's just like I don't think there's been a major misstep with Wonder Woman that I'm aware of to where you could say oh well you know she's she's no good because of this well they did a great thing in the early 2000s, I think it was around Identity Crisis or Infinite Crisis, where she kills Maxwell Lord. Oh, that's right. Yeah. To me, that was good for the character. That was a short run I was reading then where it was like, see, that's cool. You've you've given a bit of depth to her. So, but I can't think of anything else, Adam. You're right. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the only other person that I would put in there, maybe it is Barbara Gordon, you know, Batgirl to Oracle. Just the resiliency of that character and the stalwartness of that character because she's always available she's always on top of things she takes care of it you know she has her personal relationships with dick grayson and whatever else is going on you know but i just i feel like she's also been somebody who you just like you respect the heck out of her she's cool how is rogue not up there that rogue i feel but maybe by this point she wasn't that popular but I mean, Rogue starts out as a villain. She gets her redemption, joins the team. And then I think she unfortunately falls out of the category of, well, she's hot. You know, yeah, she's not cool. She's just hot. And you're like, good okay. point. <laughs> For this era, I mean, that was kind of, yes. you know. Now, just to close out this segment, there are several pieces that work on a more visual level, which we'll post to social media, but I feel like they deserve a mention. So first off, Temporary Insanity is a journal of intern Chris Hutchins about his first day working at wizard we're gonna save that for the mini episode because it's for real wizard nerds it has some hilarious behind the scenes tidbits about working in the congress new york office i've actually contacted him i reached out to him we may be able to do a follow-up on this do a wizard files interview so that would be cool now next up is an akiko comic strip by mark Crilly, which finds the characters of his space fantasy adventure series selling copies of their comic book at a convention it's a very meta story but it's a lot of fun. There's also a two-page photo spread on the 1998 Wizard World Chicago convention, which what I thought about is like, that's much shorter than I would have expected because they were hyping, hyping, hyping for months. And then you get a little two-page report like the previous year of the first time they did the convention, it was like three or four pages. And so that, that surprised me. Finally, there is a last man standing battle, but we're also going to move that to the mini episode going forward because I want everybody to have a reason to tune in to the mini episodes we'll talk about the last man standing we'll figure out where we fall on the outcomes of that so that's where you'll be able to find it going forward but let's talk about the hollywood news as we check out our heroes in motion
right, the shaky future of DC Comics heroes on the big screen is the main focus of this issue's coming attraction section. Wizard quotes George Clooney saying, I was the third Batman and I destroyed the franchise. It's reported that Batman and Robin had an estimated budget of $110 million, but only earned $107 million in the United States and an additional $130 million worldwide. Due to this reality, Clooney comments on the probability of him ever donning the rubber suit again. I buried that franchise. I don't think there will be another Batman. It wasn't profitable enough for them to take the chance again. I could be wrong. We'll see. It'll probably have a lot to do with whether or not they actually do Superman. Wizard also ran an AOL poll to see who fans would want to take over the role of Bruce Wayne for George Clooney. It should be no surprise that 56% wanted Michael Keaton to return to defend the streets of Gotham, while 16% were in favor of his Beetlejuice co-star Alec Baldwin donning the bat suit. Meanwhile, 14% gave their vote to Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer earned 8%. I have a few questions for you, Adam. One, have you seen the flash yes definitely saw it in theaters okay two is kurt russell ever crossed your mind as batman not at all he, he <laughs> that so surprised me i was just like kurt russell i mean i understand he's been grim and gruff and you know he's played snake plissken and all of that but that is not a bruce wayne that is not he's not dapper in any way Oh, man. So, I, I mean, we don't have to get too deep into it, but as far as The Flash goes, you know, it was fun to see Michael Keaton back. Yeah. Definitely when he's in the suit, especially, it's very cool. But it was a little goofy for me, like his lines and the fan service. So I wasn't 100% satisfied. I wish they could have had an actual evolution of the character and not looked back so much. But yeah. But getting back to Warner Brothers leaving a Man of Steel movie up in the air, so to speak, a sidebar titled Superman grounded for good declares the tim burton film dead with wizard quoting the would-be superman nicholas cage as saying quote i think there's a certain amount of trepidation about comic book movies in general right now i wasn't really the type i'm not your classic concept of what superman should look like but the main problem was that the script came in very very expensive of course, it's mentioned that Kevin Smith had turned in the original screenplay for the film that was rejected by Tim Burton, and this was Smith's take on the situation. Quote, I had a good time working on Superman. No real regrets. I have regrets about Tim Burton screwing it up, but Warner Brothers was really good. Producer John Peters was something of a loopy individual himself. It was just a little bit too kooky, I think. A lot of what happened on that movie is pride. It was cats that didn't understand that character in the least trying to catch lightning in a bottle and basically do a bat Batman on a character that you can't. Superman and Batman are two completely different characters, and Tim was just the wrong guy for the project. And John Peters just doesn't understand Superman. You can make an argument that he understands Batman or a portion of it, but Superman, not in the least. I'm I love sure the candor. All, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard this whole story now, though, right? Like, the John Peters, yeah. Like, go look it up on YouTube, man. That is giant spiders and everything else. (laughs) All right, moving on to uh, more casting. Let's look at the casting call for this issue, which focuses on a Justice League of America movie, and Wizard has some far-out ideas for who would play the icons of DC Comics, starting with Superman. And no, 
It's not Nicolas Cage. It's starting off not strong. This is a character actor that I love, but there is no way he ever could have pulled off Superman because they want Bruce Campbell. He has a vibe and he has abilities, but he does not play it straight like Superman needs to be. It makes zero sense. Like if you look at the picture they provide of him from Army of Darkness, yeah, you see some like, you know, he's got the chin, he's chiseled looking, but that's like one shot. There's nothing else. I love Bruce Campbell. This makes zero sense. <laughs> no, no, it, it would not play in any way. The strange thing about this is they, for the most part, are just pulling in previous casting call suggestions and then assembling them here because this is a really long one. Like they want Thomas Gibson from Darmag Greg to play Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern. We've already talked about that in the past. No way. He's got no attitude. He's boring. They even say here he's the sensitive and self-deprecating. You know, like no, we don't need him. How about for Wonder I, Woman there? I don't. I don't know who R- Rachel McLish is. Do you know her? I, I, I'm not She's like a bodybuilder turned actress, and I believe she had been in talks to play She-Hulk. There was this like She-Hulk project that was being developed like a year or two before, and they obviously it never happened. But she was one that was being considered. But yeah, I I wouldn't be able to pull her out of a lineup and say, oh, I know her from this. Although I think they mentioned she was on an episode of Lois and Clark at one point. Now Eric Stoltz as the Flash. I feel like he was too old by this point to play Wally West. Like, I He's also not funny. Yeah. And then Alec Baldwin as Batman. He's got the voice, but he's, I think by this point, too old in my opinion. He had just done The Shadow, but that was not, that was like four, almost five years prior at that point. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. We're, yeah. The next one, I, I'm going to suggest a swap here because, again, this is a, a definitely just a picture, matching a picture. Who is a big, buff, bald guy? Evander Holyfield. If we put him in green makeup, he can play the Martian uh. Manhunter. You're like, no. Evander Holyfield is not an actor. You know, like Jim uh. Brown, who was in Mars Attacks, he's an actor. Like, he's done some work. He could have done it. But I want to swap him because they want Lawrence Fishburne as Steel. And I was like, that's cool. But I think Lawrence Fishburne, because of what we see a a year later with The Matrix, he'd be a much better Martian Manhunter, stoic, kind of wise, and all that stuff. For Steel, I was thinking Tony Todd, the Candyman, would make a good Steel. Oh, he'd be awesome. Yeah, with that voice, too, coming through the metal mask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now... How crazy is it that they choose Kenneth Branagh as Aquaman? Like, he couldn't be more different than Momoa, right? Like, we have a thespian, Shakespearean actor that they're recommending. And I kind of like that idea. I just don't know if he was chiseled enough to go topless. I I, I like it too because I never considered even Aquaman having a British accent but it makes sense that he'd be very regal he's the king of an undersea kingdom like that really does play in in a great way now what about Jim Carrey for you as Plastic Man I mean who else who else obvious. could possibly do it? Yeah, so obvious. Yeah, and um, at the time he was coming off the Truman Show, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, he was definitely getting away from wacky, but that would have been a great way to pull him back. And, and I believe, if I remember, at some point it was reported Steven Spielberg was trying to make a solo Plastic Man film. There was also a point when the Matrix directors were also 
trying to make a Plastic Man movie for years. I think we'll get into that in later issues. I'm pretty Probably, sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, this is another person from the 90s who I'm sure had her 15 minutes of fame. I can't even say her name. Uh, Sanita Jolson as Big Barda. And they're saying she's a, a fitness guru on MTV. I remember they had The Grind on MTV, which was a workout show for 20-somethings. So maybe that's what she was on. But I, I don't have any frame of reference for her. I guess maybe because she was athletic. They're like, yeah, get her in there. Yeah, now these uh, most of these other ones, Christian Slater of Zoriel, I don't even know that. Like, I, I've seen the character on covers. I think it was like JLA Paradise Lost or something. No clue who that character is. He could probably do it. I've read and not liked many appearances of Zoriel in this okay. JLA run, but I was actually thinking a young Ethan Hawke might have been Yeah, better. that would have been good. Gina Gershon as Huntress? I man, Why not? Why not, I say? <laughs> She's got an intensity. Yeah, I think she can yeah. do a good job. I think Michael might have some alternate ideas on the Huntress, though. We might oh, hear boy. on that. <laughs> okay. And now Robin Lively. Again, I wasn't a Karate Kid fan, so not a clue who did this. Uh, she was like on a lot of TV shows as a one-off love interest for the main character, teenage guy or college guy for years. But she had this movie Teen Witch, which originally was a sequel oh, to Teen yeah. Wolf, and then it got evolved into Teen Witch. She is like a breath of fresh air so for her to play a barbara gordon i think she would uh you know do it well i know dina meyer played her eventually but dina yeah. meyer was like a non-entity at this point in time i think she would like had been on friends once but oh, starship troopers had come out by this point now this robin lively though would she have made a good batgirl like they have her as oracle but see that's where i i don't see well, but, the, but she's not batgirl at this era i know but batgirl is oracle right so <laughs> <laughs> can you say that she was once batgirl Yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Probably not, because she's a little fluffy. Let's put it that way. Her acting style is, ah, no, no, no. She's got intelligence, but it's always like a lot of energy that comes across. So J.O. Sanders from Kiss the Girls, which I'm sorry, Morgan Freeman, I did not see it. Uh, as Orion, they're just saying that he is creepy and brutish. So, okay. I don't see that cast, but maybe I have the wrong interpretation of Orion. <laughs> I don't even know who Neuron is. There's a villain Same. named Neuron, but they want a guy named Bruce Payne, who I also Ed don't know. He was in The Howling Six. I love Howling Six. That's the Freaks one, where they it's like vampires versus werewolves. I love that one. Yeah, I think they just chose this guy because they found a green photo of him and there was green all over the character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ron Eldered as Prometheus. I, I'm not familiar with the actor. Kind of looks They're saying he was in the movie Sleepers, which I yeah. haven't seen. So I haven't seen either. Sting as the key. I don't know the key, but I know Sting. But yeah, Sting coming in there again. They, they got a long-haired picture of Sting and the key has long hair. So they're like, yeah, put him in there, put him in there. So overall, interesting ideas, but I, I think Wizard kind of dropped the ball on this. So I was like, you guys are making some weird choices. But hey, that's the way it goes in the casting call. We know you will all have opinions as well on our suggestions. So we'll look forward to hearing that. But in the meantime, some other people who have opinions, I want you to buy their stuff. We're going to rev up Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. Mm -hmm. 
in Todd McFarlane news, this issue, there's an ad for the Spawn 2 VHS tape, which boasts lenticular packaging for the uncut collector's edition of the R-rated HBO animated series, but also exclusive mail-in offers, which include a poster and a limited edition action figure, which appears to be a repainted violator figure. It's pictured. The text doesn't specify that's what you're getting. It just says, you know, while supplies last. Additionally, there was a coupon for $5 off a pair of Vans shoes and a sort of online sweepstakes, which again, doesn't tell you what you would win for N2 inline brand inline skates. They're not rollerblades, of course. Remember, rollerblades was an actual brand name. But N2 inline, like, why are they putting sneakers and inline skates with, there's like, it's so popular with the kids, I guess, is what HBO is thinking. But of greatest interest to us, of course, is a free wizard half comic with a special subscription offer, is how they say it. Though the subject of the half issue isn't specified. That I really want to find a sealed copy now, though, because I want to find out if there's an insert that explains it. Is it just like a Visa card, you know, insert? And they're saying, we get this half issue if you subscribe to the Visa card. By the way, it should be clarified, Spawn 2 is obviously not a sequel to the live-action film, since that never happened, and I think Season 2 of the Spawn series was happening at this time, so Spawn 2, I think, is just the second video that had more episodes on it, has got to be what they're talking about, but this issue does have a mention of what the next installment in the New Line Cinema, you know, franchise that they were hoping was going to happen would be. It says, quote, it's more of a 7-type feel, a more edgy flick with a definite R rating. That's according to Terry Fitzgerald of Todd McFarlane Productions. And of course, we're still waiting. And then it's also mentioned in the buzz box that we kind of got into this earlier, that Todd McFarlane has been approached to do a music video for Pearl Jam, which becomes Do the Evolution, a Pearl Jam song I've never heard, which got nominated for a Grammy. And then of course, he goes on to create animated sequences for videos by Korn, Disturbed, Nelly Furtado? And just last year, he did an Ozzy Osbourne video. I didn't know he was so prolific. I knew the Korn thing. I didn't know about any of these other ones. Yeah, it Disturbed I didn't know. No, Furtado is the funniest. Have you looked this up? Have you checked to see? I haven't watched all the videos yet. I, he actually did an interview with Rolling Stone last year where he like went through the game behind the scenes like details about working all these videos. I was like, wow. Look, I remember the Ozzy Osbourne figure. It is interesting how involved in music he was for, for this time period. Well, the Spawn soundtrack was huge. Soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. As for Jim Lee news, there really isn't any. Unless you count the drawing board section, which presents the results of an I Image Comics character mashup contest that has a few Wildcats characters. Poor Jim, what was going on here? It's very strange. Like, he just was doing Divide Right, but I don't think it was going well, and then he's getting ready to sell to DC. I mean, that is just around the corner, so I think he was like, uh, you'll hear from me soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now it's time for our tally in the ongoing competition between Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane for Wizard Magazine supremacy. So in this issue, Jim Lee mentioned just three times. Todd McFarlane was mentioned five times. But, guys, this is a milestone. With those three mentions, Jim Lee has hit the 500 mentions mark. The race is on in a big way. Todd is catching up, but he is not there. Jim is still the master when it comes to Wizard Magazine. So here we go. But speaking of competition, guys, we are retiring. Turok's top 10 as of episode 86, mainly because the jokes were getting even more cringeworthy as the issues went on. We want to have more fun as we close out each episode, not be like, oh, well, 
that wasn't good. So we're going to have a competition among the hosts because there's a part of the magazine that we have been neglecting for all the years that we've been doing this. And that's the CBIQ, the comic book intelligence quiz, which is always in the back of Wizard. It's a 15 question, multiple choice quiz, testing one's knowledge of comic books past and present. It's definitely going to test our geek credibility as we try to answer these. So each episode, Mike and I will trade off as the quizzer and the quizzee, and we'll keep a running score each episode. At the end of the year, the winner will get to choose a vintage comic of their choice up to a $50 value, which I know it doesn't count for much these days, but <laughs> but that will be paid for by Wizards. Our patrons will uh, help us with that. So we're going to start off the competition with Mike answering the questions. I will play the quiz master. This is going to be interesting. I mean, I, I haven't even looked at the questions yet, so I don't know where this is going. I'm the same. Once you told me we were going to do this and I agreed to it, I made sure to stay away. So I'm very scared I'm going to get none right. <laughs> He's a man of integrity, though, folks. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it here. It's the Wizard CBIQ! Now let's play, geeks! We should say, uh, maybe a good omen for you, is that on the page, they always put a character with a word balloon joke, and they have the Savage Dragon, who you're a fan of, and he says, Yuck, who needs brains when you just got muscles? <laughs> Little Popeye. All right, so, first question, Mike. In ever wacky Batman the Long Halloween, the caped crusader took a whole damn year to find a killer known only as A. Jack-o-lantern B. Holiday C. Scarecrow D. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch Unsuspecting moviegoers exposed to this chunk of vomit killed themselves to escape the pain. Okay, I, I think I got this one. It's Holiday. Correct. You got okay, it. That, that, okay. Thank you. Start off strong. Now, now I can get them all wrong and I won't feel bad. Okay. You defend Halloween three. Where do you fall on that? I love Halloween three. It's my favorite of them all. Oh, wow. There we go. Okay. Number two, Daredevil's one-time lady love, the assassin Electro, was killed by A, Kingpin, B, Electro, C, Bullseye, or D, old Hornhead himself. This is easy. This is right. Like, okay, this, okay. Maybe I will do better. C, uh, bullseye. Correct. You got it. Okay. 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 Number three, Donna Troy, the one-time Wonder Girl, has also gone by the following super identity, among others: A, Dark Star; B, Demi Goddess; C, Cheetah; D, Mighty Aphrodite. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm gonna try Demi Goddess. Oh, oh, so sorry. It was Dark was it Dark Star? Star? Oh, I think she okay. joined like the Dark Star team, and then she just gets to be called Dark Star. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Number four, Cerebus is one tough customer and durable too. He started two hundred plus issues of a comic called Well Cerebus. Not bad for a a Hedgehog, B Ardvark, C Porcupine, D Two Headed Canine. Okay, Cerebus is a Canadian, you know, character created by a Canadian. So if I didn't get this right, it's going to be really embarrassing. He's an aardvark. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, indeed. Number five, in the return of Barry Allen's story arc in The Flash, Barry turned out to be A, Max Mercury, totally bonkers. B, Professor Zoom, totally bonkers. C, Wally West, totally bonkers. D, a time-displaced Hal Jordan. Oh, God. 
I haven't read this in so long. I'm, oh, I'm embarrassed now. Okay, let's just, I'm just going to go with the time displaced Al Jordan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's a fun answer, but think of who always impersonates the Flash. Zoom. Zoom. Yeah, it was Zoom. Yeah, I, I felt like that was the obvious choice, and I, <laughs> I don't remember the story. <laughs> Number six, Ranma Sautobe, star of Viz Comics' Ranma Half, hates them public pools. See, when he's splashed with cold water, he turns into A, a panda, B, a hot babe, C, a pot-bellied pig, D, Jim McLaughlin, blasted on Heineken and screaming epithets at French tourists. <laughs> I have so no idea. Go about I your know, manga here. No, I know nothing. Uh, panda. Oh, sorry. It was a hot babe. Oh, Adam, I am not very good at this. Okay, continue. <laughs> Number seven. Besides teaming up with Wizard on a record 214 covers, the Berserker Mutant Wolverine has teamed up with all but the following heroes. A, the Teen Titans. B, Witchblade. C, Micronauts. D, um, Strawberry Shortcake? Man alive. The hairy beauties appeared in a lot of crossovers. Oh my god. I'm going to say Strawberry Shortcake? You are correct. <laughs> okay. I was like, that was oh, a gimme. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty god. interesting though all right number eight nice costume tick but what exactly do those stupid antennae do well once when deprived of his buggy adornments the tick a kept losing his balance b couldn't stop eating animal crackers c kept getting hit with falling pianos d got canceled by fox kids <laughs> <laughs> i like d I, I feel like it's a balance thing correct oh good <laughs> this is stressful <laughs> number nine in the upcoming x-related title for marvel mutant x which genetically gifted hero gets shunted to an alternate dimension a havoc b wolverine c x-man d another alternate dimension time for some new ideas everybody <laughs> okay i listened to your review adam i listened to it ah. it's, it's havoc correct right. <laughs> yeah guys you got to listen to the half episodes or else you won't have the knowledge that i have <laughs> <laughs> number 10 which reject from the zoological gardens hasn't fought spider-man yet a the kangaroo b the grizzly c the shark d kid nambla and it's an acronym n-a-m-b-l-a -A. i don't know who that is i don't know any uh, the, the grizzly <laughs> oh. oh sorry it's the shark it, was, it had to be an animal, right? I'd like to know if the shark is a Marvel villain or a DC villain. That's what I'm curious. Uh, but I think the shark may have like fought Namor or something. I don't know. Who knows? Now All I right. need to find out who the grizzly is. Oh, yeah. The grizzly I've seen. I'm like, he's uh, just a guy in a bear costume. You're just okay. like, okay. <laughs> 11. Back when ninjas weren't just cannon fodder, any schoolgirl with a sturdy rake could defeat. It was revealed in the pages of G.I. Joe that Storm Shadow had in fact been framed for the murder of A, the Hardmaster, B, the Softmaster, <laughs> C, the Darkmaster, D, David Carradine's career. Oh, sorry, Grasshopper. Uh, Hardmaster. Hardmaster. Correct. Oh, 12. What's the name of the main male character in the mega popular anime and manga Dragon Ball Z? A. Zippy? B. Goku? C. Toriyama? D. Carl. <laughs> I know nothing about Dragon Ball Z, but Goku is the only familiar sounding name there. You got it. Okay. All right. Number 13. What comic contains Stan Lee's first published work? A. Fantastic Four number one. B. Amazing Fantasy 15. C. Captain America comics number three. D. Bondage Biker Babes number two. 
Captain America Comics number three. Very nice. Yeah, yes. that one I knew. Not even a comic book story, a, a prose story. All right, number 14. In addition to every stinking issue a Catwoman you ever saw, what Chaos Comics miniseries did Jim Ballant pencil? Ugh, you're the horror guy. Okay, here we go. A, Lady Death Between Heaven and Hell. B, Evil Ernie Destroyer. C, Chastity Theater of Pain. D, Purgatory, The Vampire's Myth. Oh, I have no idea. Chastity? <clears throat> Sorry, it was Purgatory. The oh, that was my second it. guess. Uh, <laughs> okay. And finally, the Savage Dragon, before he went and got himself killed, once headed up which superhero organization? A. SOS, Special Operations Strike Force. B. SHIELD, Strategic Headquarters, International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. C. JLE, Justice League Europe. D. Yo Mama. Yuppies organized mainly against major asses. <laughs> okay, I, I actually know this one, but I feel like they they would have made it real easy for someone that hasn't read Savage Dragon SOS. Okay, very good, very good. So, okay, so what did I get? I think you got 10 out of 15. Okay. A pretty strong showing. I got to type okay. that into our notes here so that we have the running tally. So that gives you 10 points as we go along. Well, Mike... I do want to bring up one last thing before we close in that this issue contains the first ad for eBay, which was brand oh. new at this point. Welcome to eBay, the amazing new way to buy, sell, and collect. Welcome to the thrill of hunting through about half a million items. That's a lot of stuff. The fun of the auction. You set the price. And dealing with someone who loves the same stuff you do. Who knows? You might make a friend. Here's how you get there. That is, you know, ebay.com with a Godzilla toy that's there. And so what I found so interesting about this is they're really pushing, like, this is a place to find toys. Like, there's a screen cap of a Netscape Navigator window, <laughs> and it has, like, a toy robot on it. It's toys. It tells you action figures and die cast and beady babies and all these different categories. Teletubbies even has its own category. But I just, I find it so fascinating, like, this moment in time when we think about, as collectors, how important eBay is to us now. But here's this moment in time, 1998 where it's becoming a thing yeah it is this is like a piece of history right here i, I never it didn't even cross my mind because it is a part of our lives right i don't personally buy on ebay as a, being in canada it's a bit expensive but uh, it is so important to collectors now i know so yeah this is this is a pretty big moment in the yeah. magazine's history yeah little milestone there so hey there That's we go that is episode 86 lots of fun conversation here mike i'm looking forward to many more but you have a little bit of excitement coming up in your world so why don't you tell them a little bit about what's going on with armored coming up at the beginning here? yes my what's very before? first comic should now be depending on when this drops it it should be in the latest preview magazine so people People can actually order my comic. But this is the main cover by Nick Patera, who did Axe Wielder John and Manhattan Projects from Image Comics. So Nick's covers the main cover and Jay Lee does the other cover, which is a one in five variant that you can get. So please, anyone listening, get your comic shops to order it. And so I guess it'll be hitting end of March, April, depending on the time. I'm new to this myself. This is my first comic. You know, I hope people get a chance to read it 
I've spent two years working on it. Adam, you've read it. I have read it. That's issue. what I wanted to say. Look, he is a professional writer, guys. This is not somebody's first attempt. Like all those 90s, like indie comics you would pick up at shows or whatever. That's not what this is. This is professional. It looks great. The story reads so well. Like you really get invested in the characters immediately. And it is a unique thing you've not seen this before necessarily like in this format in this style i really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to reading the rest i i don't go to my local comic book shop very often to buy new stuff and i'm gonna tell him put this i'm gonna set up a poll list for armored because i want to read this stuff i'm not gonna ask for it for free for mike I'm in a favor. I'm going to support the artist here. Okay. So, but yeah, but it really is cool. So check that out. Um, speaking of checking stuff out though, you've just had our interview with Garib Sheamus. We hope you guys got as much enjoyment out of that as we did doing it. But coming up is our Eric Larson interview. Okay. So Mike was there with, with us for that. And uh, Eric Larson is an interesting guy. He's not going to sugarcoat anything. He's not going to give you easy answers. You got to pull it out of him. But he dropped some really fun stuff, especially about like his involvement with Ninja Turtles and other things like that. So there's some good nuggets in there, especially for fans of Savage Dragon. Definitely listen. It brings you back to that early, the early days of uh, Image Comics. Yeah, so so we get into that. That conversation's there. And of course, then we'll be coming back your way with uh, episode 87. So much more to get into there. More Kiss. Again, my apologies. I'm going to be talking Kiss. But either way, we want to thank you for checking out this episode. Be sure to connect with us on social media. We're at Wizards Comics on every platform except Instagram, where we're Wizards underscore comics. You can find us over there. Get on over to WizardsComics.com. Now over 250 episodes of the podcast interviews, bonus episodes. You know, we even have our special releases where we've uh, unlocked from the Patreon vault 90s Super Cinema, which I will say, you know, we just covered in December Supergirl. That was a super fun conversation. Pun intended, I guess. And we also invite you to get on over to Patreon for yourself because, for example, these interviews, Eric Larson, Garib Sheamus, there's more big ones coming. We build up. We're trying to build the anticipation. They got it like a month and a half before it was ever released here in the new year. You could have been listening to those interviews and really getting the inside scoop they're uncut so you're not even getting the edited version there's extra stories that we cut for time or whatever so check those out on patreon.com forward slash wizards comics five bucks a month plus you get a scan of the issue to follow along with episodes like this you also get early releases of our youtube videos one of which is our comic card crazy series which is launching on youtube this month and that is where we're opening up vintage packs of superhero trading cards we're starting with the Marvel Universe card series one through four. So our patrons are receiving that as well as exclusive videos. They voted on the shadow for our 90 super cinema this month. And as a result, I grabbed my entire, the shadow collection of movie memorabilia action figures everything and did an exclusive video just for patreon plus it's just a fun community of people to hang out with we continue to add more and more speaking of which time to give them a shout out you know it's been a while since we've had a main episode to shout them out on so we have some new folks to welcome how about nate clark nate thank you so much hey jason kelly glad to have you william bruce west from the remember that show podcast here on the retro network hey buddy mark florio david fink 
Marway, Bruno Cavalcante, David M., Dalibor, J.S., Evan Bryant, Gary Hutcherson, Fernando Pinto, Jeremy Daw, Meltface Killer, Brian Acosta, Steve King, Dead of Jedi, Mitchell Hall, Lee Markowitz, Stephen Forshaw, and Mark McDonald. Thank you all so much for your support of the podcast. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.